Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. For some reason, I feel that there might be somebody here that really needs this story right now. We're going to read the word in just a minute. But sometimes it's really important to be encouraged by stories that have recently happened of God's grace and his goodness in our life. And um, when I was waiting for Greg one day, my husband Greg is the pastor now interim in Eureka for a short amount of time. Um, I picked up this book. I recognized the name of one of the authors, Tom Throssell. Some of you may know who he is. Um, He has been the uh, executive director of the Men's Adult Teen Challenge. And for a while, he and his wife were in uh, Bolivia on a missions trip, and he had to do a lot of preparation ahead of time for that trip. And this is a story that he writes about how God prepared him. The name of the book, if you're interested, is called Stacking Stones. And in the Bible, there's a story about, um, there's several mentions of the Israelites Um, wanting to mark where God did something really important and they would take stones and they would stack them as a memorial so that as people came through, as their tribes came through, that they would recognize that God did something really powerful at that particular point in uh, location in the world. And so he he titled his book, they titled their book, Stacking Stones. Um, It's a really sweet book and I would highly recommend reading it, especially if you're interested in missions. This is the title of chapter one, and it says, Provision, Building Up My Rock Pile. And it might take me a few minutes to read this, but I think you'll really enjoy it. It says, One of my stone piles is much bigger than the others. Ironically, it represents the part of my life where I tend to struggle the most, trusting God to meet financial needs. Even as I worry about money, our merciful God keeps providing, and every example of his faithfulness gives me another stone for the pile. I visit this monument quite often, especially when I need to remember God's provision for me. My parents raised my three brothers and me with a strong work ethic. As an adult, I was prepared to take care of my family myself. It didn't work out that way when we went to Bolivia, however. We were faith missionaries there, which means we didn't have a set dollar amount coming in from an employer each month. Instead, we raised pledges from individuals and churches who in turn gave toward a monthly target amount that covered our housing, food, and other expenses. If we were short on finances, I couldn't just put more in more hours or take a second position. I had to wait and pray and be faithful to do my job. If people didn't follow through on their pledges and send money, there would be less for us. Such utter reliance on God and other people was a huge challenge for me. In a way, it was a great experience because each check we received, from one dollar to thousands, reminded us that we were loved and cared for, that people believed in us. But the learning curve was steep, and it was hard not to worry. I could spend all day sharing how God took care of us in Bolivia, but the story of his provision in our lives didn't start when we went to South America. 
Long before we stepped on foreign soil, he was already preparing for me to trust. Janine and I got married in 1993. About a year later, I sold my motorcycle, an old Chevy Blazer. She gave up her car, and we prepared to leave Northern California for Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. So Northern California, we're talking Humboldt County. Okay, so he says Northern California several times through, but he's from here. We packed up the minivan. Oh, excuse me, I skipped a spot. At Moody Bible Institute, I would begin to work toward my bachelor's degree in mission aviation, which would prepare me to work as a mechanic on small, single-engine airplanes in Bolivia. We packed up the minivan, my father-in-law helped us, and headed for Illinois. Everything we brought had fit into the van. Even though it was crammed full from floor to ceiling, we had no bed, no dresser, and no couch. We didn't have much of anything, actually, except each other and a lot of enthusiasm. Somewhere along the way, I think Nebraska or Iowa, perhaps, I turned to Janine and said, maybe when we get to Chicago, we can buy a beanbag chair. Sinking into a cushy beanbag after the long cross-country drive sounded great to me, even though we had no money to buy one. She shrugged politely and said, well, we'll see. Many miles and hours later, these two country kids arrived to the big city. After setting aside money to cover our first month's rent and security deposit, plus pay Janine's initial month of school fees, we had $10 left. When we went to the rental agency to pick up the keys to our apartment, we discovered it wouldn't be ready until the next day. After hearing that we had no family nearby and no money for a hotel, the agency rep took pity on us and agreed to give us the keys one day early at four o'clock that afternoon instead. Our friendly new neighbors saw us pull into the parking lot and helped uh, us to unload the van. It took about 10 minutes. We expected to live simply at first, at least until I had a job with a steady paycheck. We planned to hang up sheets over the curtain rods and sleep in sleeping bags on our bedroom floor, but the place didn't even have hooks or rods over the windows. There was no plush rug to sleep on either, just hard tile in the bedroom and a worn out filthy carpet in the living room that the landlord promised to replace. This was not what we expected by any stretch of the imagination. As we were unpacking our meager inventory of household goods, our neighbors knocked on the door. A huge 40-foot moving truck was parked just outside the apartment complex. More people were moving in, and it was our turn to help. The new couple was as surprised by the small size of their apartment as we were with the condition of ours. They quickly realized all their furniture wasn't going to fit, and after unloading a few items, the husband, Jim, asked if we could use their extra bed. Could we use a bed? Bring it on. As we helped Jim and his wife unload the truck, their apartment became so full that we couldn't walk through it, so they started moving more stuff into our apartment. They didn't want to be paid for anything, they just wanted to give it to us. We didn't know them, we had barely spoken to them, yet they were filling our apartment with exactly what we needed. When the truck was empty, we closed our door behind us and just stood there, amazed at God's care for us. A few minutes later, there was a knock at the door. It was Jim, holding something out toward us. My life won't let me keep it. We don't have room. Do you want my beanbag chair? (laughs) 
only Janine and God knew what I had said when we were driving down that long stretch of freeway. We marveled at how he was providing, not just for our needs, but for our relatively minor wants, like a comfy beanbag chair. And we didn't have to sleep one night on that cold, hard tile floor. We spent three years at Moody, Moody, Moody Biblical Studies Program in Chicago, then transferred to the school's Missionary Aviation Technology Program in Tennessee. Unknown to us, the curriculum there was so intense that students were allowed to work, <clears throat> they weren't allowed to work while attending school. The short story on that is that he needed a huge package of tools that were specific to working on airplanes. And it was going to be super expensive. In order for them to go to the mission field, they had to have no debt. But they didn't have money for all the tools. They didn't have money for the airplane, uh, the, the expenses for her to go to school. But the Lord prompted someone who heard about them, who is a retired mechanic, who had just bought new tools to work on the newer planes to give them a completely new set of tools. And the, the stories of God's provision in their life over and over again are chronicled in this book. I just want to kind of cut that short because I know it's taking a long time to read that and I have other things to share with you. I think it's important for us to realize that God is at work and he's on the move and he hears our prayers and he hears what, he sees what we need. And he's already made provision for that. So I would like to share with us this morning out of a different book, the good book, as some people refer to it as. And we're going to go to the Gospel of John. If you have your Bible app or your Bibles, if you could turn to John 14, actually John 15. So Jesus in the Bible, in a lot of our Bibles, is, you know, his words are marked in red, right? So John 15 in my Bible is Jesus' words all the way through. So John, the one who was a disciple of Jesus, um, recorded the words of Jesus in this particular chapter where he's talking about the vine. And this is what I would like to share with you this morning. Um, a famous Bible scholar by the name of William Barclay um, writes about Jesus in, as he's talking about this passage. And he says, the greatness of Jesus is his inexhaustibleness. That's a long word. I would hate to spell it out more than the one time I did. <laughs> no one has ever grasped all that he came to say. We, he t tells stories and parables and in and often he didn't explain the parable when there was a large crowd. He would bring the disciples into another area, and he would, in, the, in that more intimate setting where they could ask him questions and where he could just talk to them freely, he would explain what the parables meant. So for if parable is a new word for you, it just means it's kind of an analogy to explain a spiritual truth or a mystery, things that we, we may not be able to understand right away <clears throat> but the Lord wants to, us to grasp something maybe beyond our current understanding. So Jesus explained these things to his disciples, and, and this is one of those passages. Um, let's start at verse 1, and we're going to read through 
um, verse 17. I will have to tell you before we start reading this that when I was a child, one of the things that a Sunday school teacher had challenged us to do as we were emerging readers and and a little bit older readers was to read through everything that Jesus said. And sometimes the words that Jesus said are almost terrifying <laughs> because we don't understand them. And and they're also, he was speaking to a group of people in another cultural context, and he was speaking to people who were, who were fishermen and agriculturists and and. And so they understood things in a different way than maybe somebody, somebody who had grown up in the city. So um, I found part of this, like in verse 6, and we'll read through this right now, kind of like scary to me. But I've learned to change my view, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about this today. So Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Pause for a second here. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they carry them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned." See what I mean about verse 6? It's a little scary, right? But he goes on to say, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, for you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and share and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Okay, the words that we hear through there is abide, is love. This is the will of Jesus. It's his, his command to us that we love one another. We have to look at scripture in context. Context matters. Remember, this is chapter 15 of the book, of John, and while John isn't 100% in chronological 
chronological order a few scenes back in as John narrates what's happening in the life of Jesus. In my Bible, three pages prior, Jesus had just identified his betrayer when they were in that Last Supper event. Judas leaves the Last Supper scene, and he goes and he does that awful thing that we know he betrays Jesus. And Jesus tells the remaining disciples the hard fact that he's departing from the world and then gives them their new orders, right? John 13, 34. We were reading in John 15, but Jesus says in John 13, 34, just after that Last Supper, a new commandment I give you. Remember, these are the remaining disciples. Love one another as I have loved you. This is the new standard. This is not, this is my commentary. The new standard is that selfless, sacrifice, sacrificial servant Jesus, that love that Jesus, he, he ministered to everyone. That's the new commandment for us, that we love one another. And he says in that same chapter, verse 35, by this all men, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And I don't think the disciples first grasped what he was really talking about. I mean, they already knew the old commandments, the Ten Commandments, and they knew that Jesus wanted them to care for people. He had displayed that. And I think in my early life, um, this, this whole story of what it's like, the vine and the branches, that Jesus is the vine and that, that God is the vine dresser. And I did a little research on that, and the vine dresser is somebody who knows the vine so intimately and knows what each each the uniqueness of every vine so the these require a lot of cultivation and uh, the branches have to be pruned a certain way depending upon where they are on the vine it's very unique and and the purpose is to produce fruit for many years it's a really great picture of how, how important it is for us to remain in the vine. And my early recollection was that the, the verse 6 was kind of scary because I was all about doing, what I can do for Christ. What I, what I am not doing that is, you know, I need to repent of, those kinds of things. I now understand that when Jesus was telling this story, he wanted to give them a picture that it's about us being in him. It's not about the doing part. Should we do things? Yes, we should. But really, it's the abiding. It's the being in Christ. And that revelation comforts my heart because he, as the vine dresser, really, really knows what's best for us. He created us. Um... Jesus is the vine and that, that life that he gave on the cross for us. And it, the, the symbolism is just amazing. That, that pruning, Jesus was taken off the cross and he was buried so that new life could spring up in us. How powerful is that to think about? The vine dresser is very attentive and caring. That was an analogy 
but what Jesus did and what God did for the disciples back in that day, he still does for us today. He allows us to be held in a place where it might be a little uncomfortable for us because we don't comprehend what's happening, but Jesus cares for us and he tends to our needs. Just like the story that I just read to you, a beanbag. Come on, that's pretty cool. How many of you remember a beanbag? <laughs> I have a horrible story about a beanbag that I won't share. My cat found out it was its favorite bathroom spot. So I did tell you, yes. <laughs> okay, so um, one of the things that um, I wanted to share also is that there was a man who, who wrote about this particular passage, um, someone in, uh, who was helping us understand. His name was Dr. Earl Rockmacher, and Rodmacher. And um, he has an interesting story. Everyone has a testimony, right? Well, this man became a Bible scholar because he was a troubled young man who was just not happy with his career choice. He was like, he was not happy with his career choice. And he decided to go to a Billy Graham crusade way back in the day in Portland. And he went back and he went back. It went on for six weeks and he went back every time. And at the end of the time, remember the guy that used to sing these, had this big booming voice and he sang, he ran up to him and he grabbed him and he said, I'm going to preach. And this guy said, okay, this is the school you go to. And uh, he told him about his alma mater, and he went to that school, and he became a Bible scholar. And um, he wrote this uh, passage about John writing about Jesus, and he says, Jesus was the complete embodiment of what the nation of Israel was supposed to be. What the disciples needed to hear, you know, there were a lot of people that were crying, revolution, we need to change things, there's a Messiah coming and he's going to do all these great things and he's going to relieve our oppression. But in reality, Jesus wanted to do something bigger. He wanted to do it micro in each person and he wanted it to do it for all generations. He wanted to bless all the nations, not just the nation of Israel. So it said, he said, Jesus was the complete embodiment of what the nation of Israel was supposed to be. What does the Old Testament say the nation, was, the nation of Israel was supposed to be? It was supposed to bless all the other nations of the earth. And, and Jesus came and fulfilled that promise. In John's telling, Jesus focuses on God's close relationship with believers and the resulting fruitfulness that it brings. This picture emphasizes the role and function of disciples to remain established and growing in maturity to bear much fruit. The disciples would have known that the master gardener vine dresser uniquely pruned each vine. They'd probably helped at some point a family member go out and work the fields. The vine dresser literally could knew, know each of the different branches, what that particular area in that location, the amount of sunlight it needed, 
they knew exactly what it needed. So the picture of God knowing exactly what we need is really powerful here. The branch obviously has to stay connected, right? Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask and it shall be. That's the fruitfulness part. Jesus goes on to explain the picture, which I actually read to you already. The picture is of loving, loving the world, loving each other, of, of that love between members of the church being so powerful that other people are drawn to it. This phrase, this, this section is meant to be an encouragement to bring hope and comfort because the verses before it even describe some things that are painful. The phrase, whatever you ask the Father, means a vine branch that receives the life of the vine will ask, be in alignment with the very life of that. You're not going to produce tomatoes off of a grape or a grapevine, right? So that alignment to his purpose and his will. Our hope is in him, the true vine. And we are his branches. We reflect his divine DNA, his goodness. And, and though that picture we can uh, leave and, and just step back from it a bit, because at some point analogies kind of break down. But again, this phrase was meant to be an encouragement. It was to bring hope and comfort because of what Jesus did on the cross. We have an eternal place on the vine. I want to go back to just really briefly this last passage that talks about what Jesus actually did in the very last days he was on earth. If you have your Bibles, again, turn to Luke 24, verse 45. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That was my bookmark that fell out for this. Here we go. So to set up this passage a little bit, I I said to start at, at 45, but in the verses prior to that, so Jesus had just risen from the grave. He had appeared to a lady named Mary and maybe one other one, and And they run and they tell the men in the group that Jesus has just appeared. The men didn't believe them. And then later on in the story, they go, they're like pondering, like, well, anytime anything happens important, we all get together. So they meet together. And as they're meeting together, discussing all these things, Jesus shows up. Doesn't say he knocked on the door. He just shows up. And he began to talk to them. First, he had lunch with them, right? And uh, he showed them his hands and feet. And then after they finally had uh, comprehended that he was actually with them and not spirit, okay, he says to them, he begins, begins to explain some of the things that he had said earlier. He says, 
he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, It is written, and it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. See, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city of Jerusalem until you are endowed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. And it ends with, Amen. So be it. That phrase that says that, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, we agree. Just like that song saying, we sang at the very beginning. We agree that we want to worship you, that we want to be in your presence. And there's more to the story in that Jesus did send the Holy Spirit, to be with them. And I am amazed at how he loves us so much that he didn't leave us orphans. He calls us friend. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to stay true to the vine, that we remain in him. So, as we end right now, I just like to pray for all of us that as we read the scriptures, and I know I left out some parts, and you might want to go back, and I might, I'm telling you, this is your responsibility anytime anyone brings you the word, is to go back and verify, verify it for yourself. The Lord will reveal new things to you that are sweet and specific to your life and what you're doing. So I encourage you to go back and do that. Lord, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to restore to life, to restore us to life, to your eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for restoring the brokenness of that first garden and for allowing us to be fully in you because of Jesus' obedience to death. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness and new life you bring and for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that we can bring all our troubles to you and that you give us joy sometimes in the middle of sorrow. You remind us of the good Abba Father that we have. Lord, help us comprehend your love and help us to wait like the disciples did and ask for your Holy Spirit and to receive and to love one another as you loved us. Lord, help us to love the world like you did. Help us to stay true to what you've called us to do. Help us to align to your word and to your spirit. Lord, we pray for others who are suffering today. We hear terrible things all over the world, even in our community. And Lord, we know that you are the sovereign God and you see and you care. 
Lord, help us to be your hands and feet to a hurting world. We thank you, Lord, for the provisions that you've, gave, you've given us. And Lord, we thank you for stories that are recent, like the one that we just heard at the beginning, that you still care about what we want and that you provide what we need and sometimes what we want. Lord, help us to share with others in that same way. Thank you, Lord, for this day. I ask, Lord, that you would bless every person here, that you would cause them to remember a piece of this story that is pertinent to their life so that they can bring a life story to someone else. In Jesus' name, I ask all these things. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 